This is No Training Wheels, and I'm your host, Rob Kelly. Few things in bike racing are more intimate than the kit that a rider chooses. It is actually that point of contact between you and the bike, so a good pair of bib shorts, for example, can make a ride pleasant and enjoyable, whereas a bad pair can make it an excruciatingly painful experience that you don't want to repeat. I can remember with a certain degree of fondness the very first pieces of cycling kit that I ever bought. A Mercatoni Uno jersey with a quarter-length zip and a regular old-fashioned pair of padded shorts. That was great for the first 30-minute ride that I did on the trails, but quite literally my rides outgrew the clothes that I had. And so I needed to turn to those people around me, to turn to my colleagues and friends from group rides to find out where to go next. There was that incredible moment where you realize that bib shorts are way better than regular shorts. And also when you get mooned by Steve Tilford on a ride to prove that you actually shouldn't be wearing underwear underneath the bib shorts. In today's episode, Brad Sheehan, A Better Way, we sit down with one of the founders of Velocheo a high-end cycling apparel manufacturer from New Hampshire, to talk about the company and its vision for the future of cycling apparel. Today's story is told in three chapters. The first chapter, ethos. The watchword for Velocheo is progress. Progress not just in how to design a better kit in the sense that we make it one color or another, but progress in the way that we see the development of kit from beginning to end. Progress in figuring out what the best materials are to use, how to be conscious about designing and manufacturing, and then creating something that will stand the test of time. Before we even start, this has been a subject of some bit of discussion. How do we pronounce it? Is it Velocio? Is it Velocio? I always say Velocio. You hear, it depends on who you're speaking with. I mean, Olivia, our sales director, says it's Velocio. That somewhat comes from background and pronunciation, being Irish. But, um, you know, it's just... It's one of those things where it's sort of just like let it be and let people kind of make their own interpretation of it because it kind of gives it its own life. Usually we use the the ch because it's, you know, kind of a nod to the Italian aspect of what we're doing because like veloce, meaning speed or bass in Italian. So why don't we start with you introducing yourself? Um, My name is Brad Sheehan and I'm one of the co-founders of Velocio. Velocio is is a cycling apparel brand. We started really to focus on producing really high quality garments that are durable, that are lasting. What we see as really unique design um, and innovation and aesthetic to kind of differentiate ourselves within the market, but also to address areas of the market that we feel aren't being fulfilled. You know, we're looking at different ways of solving problems that have been problems for many years. Um, We're trying to make cycling more accessible to a broader audience. We're trying to do it in a way that's as responsible and sustainable as possible. Let's break that down a little bit here because that's a lot of information. First and foremost, what was the white space 
that Velacio was designed to fill? Where in the market did you see the hole that needed to be filled? Initially, when we started, we were looking at the high end or performance level of the women's market. Um, there were very little options for women at the time, especially at that top end. There was this sort of underlying thing that was saying that this really wasn't as significant of a segment or, you know, women didn't buy those types of things, et cetera, et cetera. And those are things that we heard from people, you know, in the industry or there's, there is no market there. Um, and we just didn't believe that. What was it that you wanted to bring to the high-end market? We wanted to create a collection that was removed gender from the equation. So we, we looked at, okay, how can we make the best bib short? Or how can we make, you know, how can we address all these challenges of riding a bike, again, regardless of gender? You know, that's kind of how we started. We started with a completely clean slate. We didn't go to an existing apparel manufacturer and say, make one of those and put our logo on it. We really stripped it all the way back to the beginning and, and said, okay, you know, what are the 10 or 15 or 20 things that are important to people? Let's solve for those. And let's do it in a way that's like completely uncompromising from a materials perspective, from a development perspective, you know, make sure that what we're producing is the best thing that we can offer. Why you? You know, what was your interest in this high-end part of it? What was it, what caused you to be so interested in solving this problem? The high-end part of it, I think, is there's there's two sides to that, right? There's the how do you build a brand and a company that's going to be recognizable and successful. There's the just where we come from as cyclists ourselves and like our expectation for what we're creating, you know, wanting it to be the best and our, our background there. It probably stems from a combination of those things, you know, plus past experience and, and, and riding in so many different types of apparel, team kit, other brands and you you kind of keep this mental list of all the things that you like and you don't like over those those many many years and many many hundreds of hours of of riding. When was the company initially created? Uh, we started development in tw- early 2013, and we launched at the beginning pretty early on in 2014. How has this organization grown and evolved and changed? from what it was in 2013, 2014, to where it is now, seven years, eight years later almost in 2020? I think fundamentally we're very similar to where we were when we started in terms of our goals and our kind of passion for the project, for what we're building. Certainly we've learned a lot during that time. And, you know, there are hundreds of things that I could say, like that I could just have never predicted we'd have to consider or solve for or hurdles we'd have to jump over in order to get to where we're at now. You know, we've grown significantly. We're still a very small company. We're always kind of pushing to do bigger and bigger things and to be more and more impactful, kind of both within our industry and our community and and the greater community around us. So one of the things that I love to remind people about is how small this community is. I think a lot of us think that this is like a bicycle industrial complex where there's thousands of manufacturers with 
millions of parts. And when you go to buy your physique saddle, you know, there's warehouse upon warehouse upon warehouse of physique saddles. Or when you as a clothing manufacturer go to source your garments and your material, that you've got choices of thousands of different high quality vendors. But what I've come to learn is that all of this is really mom and pop sort of stuff. It's all from one little neighborhood in Italy, or in in your case, New Hampshire, and 10 people or less working in your company. Talk about kind of how homegrown Velocio actually is and how homegrown your suppliers are. Good point. I I think really a lot of that stems from e-commerce in general and how easy it is for really anyone to set up a, a web and sell stuff. There's this sort of closing down of this separation between these giant corporations and these small businesses in that both of them are very accessible when you look at it from ordering online. And as a smaller business, if you do it well, you can make you know that business look or present much bigger than you really are. Um, and that's kind of more of a branding exercise than it is necessarily trying to fool anyone. But it's double-edged in that people then assume, well, when I email customer service at you know 12 o'clock at night on a Saturday, why aren't they getting back to me in two hours? Well, that's because every customer service question that is sent to us is answered by one person. And it's actually a real person. It's She's racing on the world tour right now. There's things like that 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 add this huge layer of kind of authenticity to what we're doing, but there's an expectation, the expectation from the customer side that's often really, really high. So it's trying to balance those things. From a manufacturing and sourcing perspective, I think what we've found is it's sort of somewhere in between what you've described in that it's not necessarily small little mom mom and pop and there's only a few to choose from and there's certainly not thousands of you know huge industry with robots running everything we work with a select number of manufacturers and a select number of material suppliers based on kind of our requirements both technically and uh, in terms of sustainability and you know ethics as well as you know their their technical capability around producing with the types of materials that we use or around, you know, how each style is developed. So 2019, six years into the existence of the company, there is this new company. I'm not even sure what to call it. Ethos, slogan, message, Velocio, a better way. What Mm -hmm. does that mean to you and the company? I think when you're new, it's always hard to really define, especially when you're trying to address fairly intricate market, fairly niche market, um, with a lot of subtlety and what differentiates you from everyone else. You know, we we originally were kind of using this phrase, let's look at this differently. Um, and that really was directly talking about what we were trying to do. We were trying to shift this paradigm of road cycling, specifically being this like old boys club, into something completely different and saying like, this is silly. This, this doesn't make sense. Like cycling is way, way more than that. Um, and doing it through, you know, our capability as a, as an apparel manufacturer. That has since kind of shifted and evolved with us as we address kind of bigger issues within manufacturing and understanding and recognizing that, you know, producing clothing is 
one of the most impactful industries on the planet, second to maybe transportation. Really going pretty deep on this is what we make, this is why we make it, but we're also looking at how we make it, the, both from the end product perspective in terms of its, its lifespan, but also stepping back and saying, like, what's the cost of bringing this to the customer? We've arrived at Chapter 2 of today's episode. Chapter 2, Engineering. Cycling kit is high-tech performance material. There's no way that we can get around it. It is designed to be pushed and put through situations that normal clothing would never be used for. You're not going to dive bomb a corner in a criterium wearing a pair of jeans, and you're not going to try to kill a time trial wearing a silk blouse. Those clothes are just not designed for what cycling apparel is made for. So when it comes down to actually figuring out how to source the material, cut the material, there's a lot of science that goes into it and we forget about it. And we forget about the value that goes into thinking about things differently. You're talking about having an impact. And I, I interpret having an impact being both environmental and socially aesthetically. So you have this garment, you have this piece of clothing, which I totally see your point that the way that we dress and the things that we clothe ourselves in are very much a part of our identity and, and very much a part of our, you know, the way that we present ourselves to the world. So that can't be understated. What sort of environmental and ethical considerations do you have when you create an article of clothing? Yeah, I think it's a really important question. And, and I personally, I would like to see a way for more people to ask that question. You know, it should be part of, it should be a consideration in every purchase they make. That would be my, you know, kind of ideal scenario. It's certainly something that I consider both when I'm buying things and, and when I'm designing things. If you look at the apparel industry as a whole, the primary focus has really been on how can we produce as much volume at as low a price as possible? And from a consumer perspective, it's like, well, what can I buy, you know, this garment for on sale and how much is it going to cost me? Not really even considering how long it's going to last. These are pretty gross generalizations, but you kind of get my point. We're kind of pushing against that and saying like, let's develop garments that last a really long time. Yeah, they cost more. But if you look at them over their, their lifespan, they end up actually being less expensive. And not only are we looking at the cost to the customer, but we're looking at the, the actual cost of producing it in the first place. And by that, I mean, what does it cost to produce completely virgin fabric? And not dollar-wise, but like, what's the carbon footprint of that? Or what does it cost to transport fabrics halfway around the world so that they can be cut and sewn? Or what are the energy consumptions of the, the manufacturers that we're using? And what are the, you know, the labor requirements? These are all costs to us, not related to what we pay, but, but, but in terms of impact on people's lives and in terms of impact on, you know, the environment, the, the, the carbon 
creation or the, the, the carbon impact of every garment we make. The phenomenon you're talking about here, I think, is something that in the industry is referred to as fast fashion. This concept that you mass produce medium to low quality material at a discount price, you flood the market with it, and you have constantly updated, constantly changing inventory. Hassan Minaj did a whole show on his show Patriot Act about this in which he talked about how the typical person or or at least the typical woman will buy 60 to 70 new garments a year and wear them two, maybe three times total. I have a pair of Velocio zero bib tights that I've owned for five years and I wash them once a week in the winter, and they still look as good as they did the day I bought them. I know that I paid a premium price for it. How Mm -hmm. do you market that? How do you think about that when it comes down to, I've got this product and I want to put this thing out there and I want people to realize that what I'm creating is good stuff that's going to last you a long time, but yes, you've got to pay for it too. You know, I think our best strategy for that is really to get people to try it and and also to have people that have, you know, experienced what we're producing to tell other people. I mean, word of mouth is still by far the most powerful marketing tool you can possibly use. We can certainly say a lot of those things through our advertising and marketing. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people say that. It's sort of taken with a grain of salt often. So it becomes really challenging to educate people on on that particular point. You know, we're taking a little bit, maybe a different approach, but it really stems from our philosophy, not just as a, a marketing tech, really looking at what this stuff is made out of, not just that it's really high quality and that it lasts. But, you know, if we have a choice between making that zero bid tight using a recycled material versus a non-recycled material, even though the recycled material costs us more, we're going to use the recycled one. Um, and to the end customer, there's going to be really no difference in terms of longevity or durability or anything. Um, but in that process, we've been able to, we've been able to make a better product. What goes into the engineering and the design from a functional capacity of a good piece of clothing. You guys were brought to my attention because I needed to fill the void of not having good winter clothes. And I turned to a company initially thinking, if there's a company from New Hampshire where the folks are out there riding in the winter, in the spring, in the late fall, then clearly they know what it means to have cold hands and feet. But from there your product line expands from not just being a very good cold weather company to having ultralight and mesh material that breathes in the summer because being from New Hampshire, you know, the summer is hot and humid. So you have to deal with the extremes. But I think a lot of people will say, oh, you're a clothing company. You're supposed to figure out whether it's going to be orange, green, or blue. But so much of what you do is on that super technical aspect of it, of making clothes that function well. What goes into that? The category of brands that actually designs and develops and produces their own apparel. And then there's a category, which is a much longer list 
of brands that take something off the shelf. It's it's very similar to some kit program that you'd see like for a club where it's like, I want that style. And then they apply their design to it and their logo and call it their own. We are definitely in the, the former camp in that we work with manufacturers that use our patterns and our spec and our fabrics. We work very closely with them to develop those and prototype those and test those to the point where we have a garment that's completely our own. And a lot of that really does stem from my experience, some of the other founders' experience of living in this area. Like, as you said, like it's in terms of weather, it covers all the extremes. I mean, we have summer days that are 100 degrees and crazy humid, like sauna kind of humid. And we have other days in the winter that are, you know, minus 20 and blowing wind and freezing cold. Um, We have, you know, studs on our mountain bikes in the winter and fenders on our gravel bikes through May. It's really designing product that's going to address all those different climates and temperatures and, and weather. And I think it becomes a real advantage to us the collection we're creating because we can go outside, literally test the stuff right out the front door. When you come down to design from, you know, the the engineering point, do you take rider feedback? So for example, you have a customer who bought a shoe cover or something like that. And they say, hey, the shoe cover works really well, but maybe if you move the seam here or move the seam there, you know, how much of a collaboration is it when it comes down to creating a great sustainable end product i read every single customer review that's posted on our website i have it set up so that they actually get sent to my email so i can read really everything that comes back to us i lean on our ambassadors quite a bit in terms of getting feedback on fit and function and 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 so forth so i really do try and pool that uh, research and feedback together and then incorporate that into kind of the next generation, the next season, the next style, the next thing we develop. You use a word that we haven't discussed yet, which was your ambassador or your ambassadors. Mm-hmm. Who who are these people? Um, we have a pretty extensive ambassador group right now. It's, it's around 40 worldwide and they're, Pretty wide ranging, I would say, in terms of, you know, where they're coming from and and how they engage um, with the brand. Um, We've really looked to, you know, we kind of handpick those folks and look for people that are really involved in their community, that are really authentic people and that complement kind of our brand ethos really well um, and, and essentially become kind of a conduit for us to their community, to, to new people that, that haven't been introduced to Velaccio yet. So we're not necessarily looking for the folks that have huge Instagram followings or huge engagement. It's more about the folks that are showing up to the group ride and, you know, rolling over to folks they, they've never met before and saying hello. Those are the type of people that I think just provide an incredible opportunity and, you know, really kind of extend who we are.
we've arrived at chapter three of today's episode. Chapter three, color. No matter how high-functioning a piece of cycling apparel is, if you don't like the way it looks, you're probably not going to buy it. And when it comes down to high-end clothes, buying something for one use or two uses is just not practical. So when Brad and the folks at Velocheo decide to create a new line, they have to think not just about its function, but about its longevity, designing something that looks good with the kit that already exists and that kit which is yet to come. So it's not just a matter of does blue go with orange? It's more a matter of how does this go with everything? No matter how good your kit is, I think it's safe to say that nobody's going to wear it if it doesn't catch their eye, if it doesn't look good. What goes into the the artistic design component of a branded line? Yeah, that's a big question. Um, Before we go to that question, I think I skipped one, and I, I apologize, because I think the the question that sets that question up is why the rise in branded lines over custom lines. Because I think when you and I got into the sport 15, 20 years ago, so much of the sport was about your team kit. You buy your team kit, you buy five of them, you roll through them for the course of the year, they fall apart because you've washed them so many times, you buy a new one for the next year. But in the last four, five, six years, with companies like Velaccio, you've seen a growth in these purely branded companies that are designing kits for the public why why do you think that is and then we'll pivot into the how do you you know <laughs> how do you sell the good looking yeah. branded kit i think when you look at the if you could call it a transition from team kit to to branded kit it's really more uh, a discussion of like where's the sport going you kind of have to look at well why were team kits a thing in the first place and a lot of that stems from clubs or teams and really generally focused on road racing so one question would be like well where where's road racing going we've seen over the past maybe five years this huge trajectory growth of gravel you're seeing kind of a resurgence in a way of mountain bike like packing is gaining some traction as well e-bike in kind of an accessibility perspective of how you get folks that are either maybe a little bit older or newer or or just have never really experienced the bike before, you know, getting involved. So there's a few different things kind of happening all at the same time that are kind of working against the whole concept of team kit. You know, a lot of the, even those more competitive avenues tend to be more privateer or tend to be a little bit more participant-based and team-based. It's addressing that part of the market, really. Um, and I think, too, there's just a general trend or aesthetic for people that are looking for something that's maybe more of an investment and more about something that they can wear season after season. Maybe this idea of buying fewer pieces of higher quality and having them last is kind of catching on. Is is like something that people are actually considering when they when they do this type of stuff. The beauty of of Velocio's kit design. So if you talk about the jerseys, 
versus the bibs. Obviously, your bibs are simple, classic, black, navy, very elegant. When you look at the jerseys, the jerseys are simple colors. You know, you've got a lot of block colors of reds and now greens and yellows and, and some blues. Where does that minimalism come from? I've always approached the design more holistically, I guess would be a way to put it in that the colors and the design, the actual graphic, the way that it's composed, in many ways integrated into the function and integrated into the type of garment or the cut or whatever. For example, like our ultralight rain jacket, if you consider when you're going to be using that garment, um, what the conditions are like, you know, so providing like a higher level of visibility and really gray situation is a, a fairly obvious choice or a fairly simple thing. But then it's how you carry that color through kind of the rest of the collection to make it all cohesive. We have a palette of probably 15 colors, but they're set up in a way that we carry some through several seasons. And the idea being that if you bought a jersey that last year and you buy a vest this year or you buy another piece, whatever, they still, there's, there's some cohesiveness and it doesn't feel like every year we're just kind of reinventing ourselves. In general, yes, I would say the, the graphic aspect of what we do, the aesthetic tends to be much cleaner or simple. Uh, and that's driven really, I think, primarily by just our, our aesthetic, you know, what we believe in, what we, what we like, as well as kind of balancing that with something that's maybe a little bit more timeless and a little bit less trendy. Um, again, trying to look at it from the perspective of like, we want someone to, to invest in this and know that two or three or four years down the road, it's still going to be relevant. I own a Velocio vest. I believe the color was described as pop red. And it, yeah. has, become, <laughs> it has become the staple of my winter training gear. Not because it's pop red or because it's incredible or anything like that, which it is. It is simply high functioning, very versatile. But because... Everybody who sees it thinks it's the color salmon. And so I've been uh-huh. dubbed by Velocio ambassadors <laughs> like Adam Pulford or Alex Heyman as the salmon ranger because I love this <laughs> vest and I wear this vest all over the place. But nice. you take that simple minimalist salmon color and then you compare it to the Unity jersey which is not mm-hmm. minimalist. What was the kind of the design and what was the purpose of the Unity jersey that makes it so different? Unity was a, a campaign, we'll call it, or a project that we started. Well, this would be four years ago. I think you could say that Valaccio is quite progressive socially. I've always felt that when you have an opportunity that we do, even though we have this you know, relatively small company, um, we do have a voice and we can reach people and it's an opportunity for us to affect change, like to, to kind of move things forward, to shed light on things that we don't agree with or that we fully support. So unity kind of grew out of that philosophy or that idea. Each year we've looked at it in a slightly different way, but as a general theme, 
it's really about bringing people together. It's about the various social challenges that people face or injustices or things that we we like to support. The most recent Unity Jersey from 2019, we looked at uh, mental health because we know, I mean, we, everyone, everyone here, and I think, I think probably everyone listening could probably relate in a way, whether they, they, it's something that they deal with on a day to day directly, or they have close friends or, or, or family that is struggling with this as well. And we wanted to kind of bring light to that and in our own way, say like, you know, this is a thing. It's, it's not, there's a stigma attached to mental health. Well, how can we kind of basically say like, that's really like, there doesn't need to be. There's so many people that are dealing with this. This is something that we want to try and help people with, not cast them out. You know, the design itself has always been thematically connected to what we're doing and tends to be quite bold and, and, and really stand out as a conversation piece. Cause really that's sort of the, the main goal, right? Is to start a conversation around, Hey, that's a cool Jersey. What's that all about? You know, the, the most recent design was based on this three dimensional wireframe of a human brain where you've got kind of the blue side and the red side is the two different hemispheres and how they kind of complement each other in a lot of ways. It's a starting point for this discussion, really. And and then we, we kind of take that and just and run with it and, and wrap the story kind of around that idea. With Unity, we made a decision right at the beginning that we were going to donate 100% of the the profits to whatever cause we designate. And we did that really because for us, it's not a marketing opportunity. It's a way for us to really be kind of connected to our community and to the things that we really believe strongly in as, as individuals that work for the company. We've been able to actually raise some pretty significant donations because of that. It's sort of a, an interesting project for us and it's something that keeps us you know connected and grounded and makes us feel like we're doing our part giving back if people want to find more out about unity or about your product line they can visit the Mm -hmm. website velocio.cc if they want to check you out on instagram velocio apparel there's plenty of great photos and imagery some of my favorite are the fact that you took Adam Polford and a bunch of your ambassadors to Norway to do the product launch for the fall and winter. So you've got some great photos of, of the guys and women who were there with you putting, putting the gear through the test in a, in a wonderful Norwegian late fall day. For 2020, what can we see? What's going to happen in 2020 and beyond? Well, um, we've got a lot planned for 2020 uh in really every aspect of the company so the the collection is going to to grow pretty significantly for example we've expanded our our jersey offering and we'll have almost all recycled materials across the whole range as well as some new natural fiber options as well um the bib collection will expand the winter riding apparel will expand as well as our trail collection our mountain bike slash gravel line so we're pushing to kind of broaden that and, and provide more options for our customers. And again, do it kind of in a, the most responsible way 
that we know. We'll be announcing some pretty high-level ambassadors as the year starts to kick in here. So I'm pretty excited about some of the folks we have on board for next year, or for this year, I should say, as well as continuing our really strong, more grassroots-type ambassador program as well. The events calendar is expanding pretty significantly. In 2019, we had our Rosie, our um, mobile shop, Oh, yes. Built out of an Airstream. Tell us about um, Rosie. Tell us all about Rosie. We got to <laughs> hear about Rosie. Rosie. I have a I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with Rosie. Uh, <laughs> we bought Rosie in 20 end of 2018 and spent the winter retrofitting Rosie into a mobile shop. It's a a 1983 Sovereign Airstream, 31 feet long and was completely gutted and rebuilt as a mobile shop by us, me and, and um, Alex, the guy you see out on the road driving the Airstream around, close friend of mine and, and actually one of the shop owners close to me, uh, Dick Drummond, helped quite a bit in just kind of getting this thing all set up. And it's been on the road. It was on the road along the East Coast in 2019. And for 2020, we're expanding that calendar to be a national wonder. So really touching on kind of a lot of the cycling hotspots around the country. You'll be able to find a whole calendar on our website that expands that. Um, we'll also be at a lot of the, the bigger events around the country in their more expo type setup. So really trying to expand our, our on the ground presence in various ways there and, and really connect with people in person and and engage with people through rides and, and talks and um, anything else we can do. Well, Brad, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure learning more about Velocio. Great. Yes. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us on this episode of No Training Wheels. The folks at Velocio really do put their money where their mouth is. The 2019 Unity Campaign raised $30,000 for mental health. All proceeds were donated to the National Alliance on Mental Illness. If you want to learn more about Velocio, check them out, velocio.cc, or on Instagram, their Velocio Apparel. Special thanks this week goes out to our executive producer, Adam Polford, who helped put everything together here and has always been such a fashion inspiration for me. And if you get a chance, do check out his new podcast, The Train Right Podcast. As always, please like, share, and subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere where you get your podcasts. Check us out on Instagram at no training wheels pod or on our website, notrainingwheelspod.com. Until next time, see you out on MacArthur Boulevard.